You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. Good morning. It is a huge privilege for me to be able to be with you here in Gravenhurst. I thank you so much for the invitation. I know you didn't do it, but somebody did, and thank you. Um, <laughs> it is, yeah, it's a, it's a great privilege. I am so glad that I can be here. A um, little bit about me, because uh, since we've never met, uh, I'm married to Tammy. She's with me today, which is great. I always love it when she gets to travel with me. Uh, we've been married for a little while. Uh, we have four grown kids. Uh, they're all married. They all got married at 20. Can you believe it? Yeah. And, and they're two years apart. So every two years for a while, just about killed us. Uh, they, they got married. There was a wedding and then two years, there was another wedding and then there was another wedding. And the first three were girls. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was expensive. And anyway, then they took seriously uh, to fill the earth. And uh, so we have nine grandchildren. Um, and uh, yeah, it's crazy. But uh, that's Tammy and I. We've been serving um, in ministry now for, for over 30 years, uh, pastoring, then church planting, then working with Feb Central for the last 15 years. And uh, now God has, has given us this role of uh, regional director where I serve now, uh, helping our churches in that way. And uh, it's, a, it's a huge blessing. So I'm just so glad that I can be here with you today. A um, little bit about us as, as Feb Central. God has placed us in a unique spot. If we can look at the next slide, um, that we are in this place in Canada. You know, our fellowship spans the country, but the area that we serve in and we live in, we affectionately call Feb Central. Uh, and it is Ontario and basically anything that's not French speaking in Quebec. We have a, French re- a Francophone ministry that does French region in Quebec. And so we do all the other languages in Quebec. Uh, and and that, so that's the area we serve in. More than half of the population of, country, of the country lives there. Realize that? Just in our, our area, more than half the population of Canada lives here. And so when you look at, at that little map and you see that the colorings on it, the most darkly populated is the, or darkly colored is the most dense population. And so that's what we're seeing. And so that corridor that runs from Windsor all the way to Quebec City uh, is, is that area where most of the population of Canada lives. And God's, for whatever reason, God has put us here uh, in this place. And uh, you're on that map, you would be just on the edge of that dark population base that's running right across there. 75% of all the Muslims in Canada live along that corridor. Uh, about 60% of all the Hindus in Canada live on that corridor as well. Um, God has brought, in many ways, the nations to us as well, and they've become our neighbors. Uh, And uh, he's given us responsibility in that too, as the nations have come from all over the world to live here um, and, uh, and hear the gospel in this place in a different way from us. And so there's responsibility in that. We can look at the next slide. What we do at Feb Central, we care for pastors, strengthen churches, uh, equipping uh, leaders and uh, multiplying leaders for the future, and then planting churches uh, until every man, woman, and child belongs. That's our hope, and that's our dream, is to see that become a reality. Some of the church plants we're doing are shown on the next slide. 
And you'll see that there. There's, there's, um, I had a, I don't know what I did with it. I must have left it in my seat. Oh, no, here it is underneath. Okay, so that is some of the church plants that are going on across our region right now. God's doing some amazing things, seeing new churches. There is an update at the back uh, that you can pick up later if you didn't get one. Uh, But this is just a way that you can pray for the different church plants that are going on in the region. And you'll hear a little bit from each one of them. uh, And because as you go through it, you'll see all the pictures are here. But it's page after page after page after page of these new churches starting and sharing what God is doing in their area, all the way from, from Windsor across, uh, across the GTA into the eastern Ontario, up to the north, um, as far as, well, right now our furthest one north is in Manitouage, and I'm pretty sure you, most of you go there regularly. Uh, <laughs> Manitouage is about an hour north of Marathon. Now, Marathon is on the north shore of Lake Superior, and then you go an hour north, and the roads end, and you're in, Ma- in Manitouage. Uh, the only place you can go from Manitouage uh, is to the mines, and that's about it. Uh, so that's, that's when you get to Manitouage. That's all there is. And, uh, and God has, has, is building his church in Manitouage. There's a town of about a couple thousand people there that didn't have a gospel witness, and now they do. Uh, and uh, yeah, so lots of great stories, and you'll read them in the in that update. I I get ex- I get excited. I want to tell you all the stories. I'm not going to do that because uh, <laughs> there's a lot of good ones that are going on. If we can go to our next slide. You know, I often get asked, why do we do all the church planting that we do as a as a region? Why do we put all that effort in? You know, there are churches, church buildings that are closing across the country. Um, right now, there are 10,000 buildings that will be closed in the next 10 years across Canada that are churches. Um, thankfully, they're not really our churches, but they are mostly big old churches that are, that are mainline churches. And uh, today, if you go to many of those churches, they're places, the buildings that are three or four times the size of this building, and they'll have a dozen people um, keeping the lights on, and that's all. Um, and you wonder, why, why are we starting new churches? Well, here's the reason. Before Jesus uh, ascended and went to be with the Father, he was speaking to his disciples, to us. And he said to them something in Matthew chapter 28, the end of the passage. He said, he said, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he added on, and, and, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. He promised that. And it, it's interesting that the natural response of the disciples was to get out, share the gospel, and start churches all over the known world. And the way we know that, the reason we know that is we have the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is a church planting story. When you read through it, you see the birth of the church, and then it's spread of the gospel and the starting of new churches all over the known world. It happened in the book of Acts. 
So it's really kind of cool to see it all unfold. And so when we plant churches, this is we're carrying on the responsibility that's been entrusted to us through that great commission and, and just sharing it with all of those who need to know. One of the churches that was started during that time, now not by Paul, but, but uh, during that time, is a church at Rome. And today we're going to do a very quick hop, skip, and a jump through the book of Romans. And it is very quick because um, you can spend a lot of time in the book of Romans. Uh, it is one of the great books of the Bible, and they're all great, but the book of Romans is one that I am sure that if you have been a believer for any length of time, you have memorized some verses from the book of Romans. Uh, they are precious to us. It is in itself probably the greatest treatise on the gospel that we have in all of scripture. Um, I remember as a kid, my pastor preached through the book of Romans. It took him four years. <laughs> Phrase by phrase through the book of Romans. That's what he did. And, and I'm telling you, we knew the book of Romans <laughs> by the time he was done. It was so funny. One day, I'm standing in the church lobby with my best friend, and um, we were talking, and something fell on the ground. We looked down, and the book of Romans fell out of his Bible. <laughs> he had worn it out. Uh, we spent so much time there. Today, uh, we are going to take a 30,000-foot view of the book of Romans it's kind of like when you fly out of Pearson. I do this often and when I'm traveling around and, and they take that, that kind of turn over the lake and you see the city from a different perspective. And the CN Tower is just tiny and everything's different. Um, Toronto becomes less of that place that we hate to go to because of the traffic and more of a, of a wonder of what it is. Today, as we look at Romans, we're going to see something different than just a theology book. Just a place for us to, sometimes it's a place for us to debate, you know, um, election or something like that. One of these big challenging topics uh, in the faith and, and we, we wrestle through those things. Today we're going to see it a little bit different because Romans was intentionally originally written when Paul sat down to pen this book. He was writing a missionary support letter. Can you imagine getting a missionary support letter that was 15 chapters long or 16 chapters long? <laughs> this is what Paul was doing. He was sending a letter to the church at Rome, which he had never been to, uh, but he knew about. There was a church that was primarily Gentiles. It was like us. Uh, we're Gentiles. Um, it was just like us. And he was sending a letter to them to tell them that he was coming, and he had planned to many times, but had been prevented from doing so until now. And so he wanted them to be prepared for his coming so that they could then, after he had spent some time ministering there for a while, that they could send him on his way to do ministry in Spain. And that's what he intended to do. But Paul's pattern, and we see this in other places in Scripture, was that when he was wanting a church to commission him or to be prepared, he would send them a letter and let, let them be aware in advance so they wouldn't be embarrassed. They'd be able to help him and do that. And so it's a missionary support letter, in, in effect. But the amazing thing about this letter is that what we see in it is we see God work at this... Uh, concept that we understand of the inspiration of Scripture, you see it happen in real time in the book of Romans as it's being written. It's really cool. 
Um, and, and I'll show you that now. In, as we come to Romans chapter 1, you just begin right there. We're going to be hopping through, so if you've got your Bible, hang on. <laughs> um, in Romans chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says to us, he says, I don't want you to be uh, unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come, to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. So Paul had was warning them, letting them know all of this was going to take place. But what happens was he wasn't able uh, to do so because he was prevented. And then he gets distracted after he says that. And he doesn't finish that whole statement and that whole thing until all the way back in chapter 15, just before he concludes the book in chapter 16. And he says in verse 20 of chapter 15, he says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not yet known um, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And, and then he, in verse 22, this is why I've often been hindered from coming to you, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to come to see you, I plan to do so uh, when I go to Spain, and I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in service of the saints there. And so this is Paul. This is the book of Romans. When Paul first sat down, probably could have been written in one chapter, <laughs> but then the Holy Spirit steps in and let me show you how it happens. Chapter one, verse 13 he begins, don't want you to be unaware. I plan many times. And then he says, uh, so that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. And that's why I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. And when he mentions the gospel, this is where God grabs a hold of his heart and everything changes in what he's writing. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that's by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And as Paul, you, you got to picture Paul is writing, he's, he's in a completely different context than us. You think about writing a letter, even if you were going to, you know, send something to somebody that's you know, most of us don't write handwritten letters anymore. We sit down and you're going to write something lengthy. You got a MacBook Pro and you're banging it out and you hit send on the on your you know email. Paul Paul wasn't doing that. He's sitting at this table, probably got an oil lamp and a piece of leather rolled out, and he's scratching it out with a quill. Okay, like get a picture of what he's doing here. He's writing this thing. Just gonna I gotta send them a note. Well, and then it just goes crazy as he's writing because. As he mentions the gospel, he gets really deep in thought. And his thinking becomes kind of dark. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God's made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been, been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, 
They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And then verse 28, he says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. And then in verse 32, he says, They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Is this crazy? Doesn't this sound like Canada? Like, think about it. Good is wrong. Like, the right is wrong, and wrong is right. It's insane. The world is turned upside down, and, and the situation that Paul is writing about is really bad. But it's true in our day, just the same. The situation is really bad. And this is what we see as Paul begins writing. His, it, the Holy Spirit is moving him to, to think on the gospel, and, and so he's thinking on why is it so necessary? And this is where it comes in. And he, so he gets down into this deep place where he's like, he's digging a hole. And it's, it's, it's bad. And it, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 3, it's just like, oh, this situation's really bad. But then he comes to chapter 3, and, and this crazy thing happens uh, in verse 21 of chapter 3. He says, but now, so he's, got, he's built this place, but, but now something has happened. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, which, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So the situation's really bad, but now something new has happened. Something beautiful has happened. Jesus Christ has come. He's paid the price for sin. And so every person can be made right with God, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've come from. That peace with God can be found. And it's beautiful. And so he goes on and, and, and in, you know, through these next few, few chapters explaining how beautiful this is. And in ch- chapter 5, he says, you see at just the right to verse 6, chapter 5, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So he did it. Not, not, not when you know, we thought, oh, we'd done enough good things, or we were all perfect, or we were all right. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, we had nothing to offer. He died for us. He did it. And it's beautiful. He demonstrated his love for us in that. And then as you track your way through this, it's amazing. You see... The gospel, the good news, is not just amazing for that moment when you pray the sinner's prayer. It's amazing for the life of an everyday believer who is walking the road. I remember the first time I discovered Romans chapter 7. As a teenager, I was an idiot. I struggled like crazy. I was trying to be a follower of Jesus. and I remember praying the exact same prayers every single day. God, forgive me for, and you know, blah, 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 and I'll, I won't do that again. I'm going gonna, gonna to try, and, I, and the next day, God, forgive me for, <laughs> and it was the same things again and again 
And again, and then I came to Romans chapter, chapter 7, I'm like, wait a minute, that's in the Bible? Like, who wrote that? Have you read Romans chapter 7? It's crazy. It's crazy. Okay, you got to stop for a second and think, okay, who wrote Romans chapter 7? The Apostle Paul. Okay, he wrote half the New Testament. And, and this is what he says. Romans chapter 7. If you look, <laughs> you look with me, in verse 15, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree the law is good, as it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. This is Paul. Can you believe it? So 15-year-old Tom, it's like, wait a minute. He's just like me. And I realize that the gospel is for me. Even not just that moment when I you know, figured out that, okay, I was not going to hell any longer. It was like, no, it makes a difference today tomorrow and next week. Paul says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work within the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, or waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I then, in my, I, my, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. It's beautiful. The good news is overwhelmingly amazing. Situation's really bad, but the good news, oh, it's good. It, make no mistake about it, it's good. He gets more and more excited as he writes. You gotta, you gotta picture Paul, right? He sits down, he's at that table, he's writing this thing out, and, and, he's, and he gets depressed when he's writing. It's like, oh, the wrath of God, you know, and it's bad. And then he's like, but now something new's happening. He gets excited and more and more excited until he comes to the pinnacle of Romans chapter seven, seven and, and he's or chapter eight, and he's like, "Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword?" And and he's no. And all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is pumped. He's been going through this emotional roller coaster as he writes, and he is on a mountain peak. And then comes chapter 9, and he, hits a, he steps off a cliff, and he crashes. Watch this. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. It's like, what happened? What happened? He's on, he's like, he's on a mountaintop, and then all of a sudden he crashes. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. 
for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. And Paul, as he's writing, he's, he recognizes the need for the gospel, and then he sees the beauty of it. And then all of a sudden it hits him. But my family, my neighbors, the people around me of my country, my own countrymen, all of us, they're lost. They haven't trusted Christ. What about our neighbors? Both the lost. What about the ones who live nearby? The new neighbors, the people we haven't yet met. See, for Paul, as he writes this, what we see is that the situation is bad, the good news is really amazing, but to do nothing is unthinkable. And so this is the thing that, that grabs hold of his life and changes everything. And so it compels him forward. It, he gives his life in service of this. This is the thing. This is what drives him. And so you see in Romans chapter 9 and the, and the following chapters how he, how he unpackages this. He tells us in Romans 10 how it is that a person comes to faith in Christ. In verse, chapter 10 and verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He continues on and gives us all kinds of unpackaging of these thinkings and the, the idea of offering our bodies as living sacrifices, of living out what it means to be fully committed to following Jesus. Today I want to give you a question, leave you with a question. I want you, I want you to take this home and I want it to be the thing that wakes you up. <laughs> In the night. I want it to be the thing that you, you think on and, and, and makes a difference for you. If the situation really is bad, and you all nodded and agreed that Canada is very much like the situation Paul talked about, and if the gospel really is that amazing, If we agree with Paul that doing nothing is unthinkable, what does doing something look like for you? It's different for every one of us because, you know, you are different than me um, and you're different than the person next to you and the person on the other side. You're, you're different. God has given you unique gifted giftedness, experience, place where you live, resources, education, uh, good, bad, and ugly things that have happened in your life, they're all different. All of those things are things that God uses in our lives to bless 
others and to help and to be there for others. But what does doing something look like for you? I was wrestling with this because, you know, over the last number of years, my, my, my ministry has, role has been, had involved a lot of travel. So I'm often not home. And I'm feeling like, how do I connect with my neighbors? How do I do something for my neighbors? And, uh, and then with the travel, I get home and I'm tired. <laughs> I just like, you know, it, it's so it, it's it's a challenge when you're not present in the neighborhood all the time. And so I was in my living room and and I was kind of praying about this. And it was interesting. The Lord just kind of gave me this thought. It was like, Tom, just go outside. <laughs> it was like, hello. Uh, in my in my where my the way my house is set up, we're on a we're on a court. And from our, our front window, you can see most of the other homes around the court. And, uh, and so I can tell when the neighbors go outside. If I go outside, they all want to talk. And, and, they, and it happens, right? So I decided that, you know, whenever I can, I make an excuse to go outside when, when I see my neighbors are outside. And uh, so over the years, I've done that uh, quite a bit. And gotten to, I've got a whole bunch of different stories of God doing things just because I was present. Um, not because of some major thing or, wow, boy, he's gifted or he did this. It was like, no, I just happened to be there. <laughs> and, you know, people came and talked. And um, one neighbor that I got to know really well was Keith, who's next door. And um, Keith's about 10 years older than me. And he always seemed to want to talk. And so we would always, you know, greet each other and talk and, and things. And then Tammy and I had decided the one year that um, we were going to do a Christmas um, get to know your neighbor drop in um, and we do we're going to host it at our house so we made up little 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 half page flyer thing just said get to know your neighbors bring your favorite Christmas cookies or something um, from you know two to four or whatever it was uh, and it was our our address and, um, and so we, we handed them out to all our neighbors when I went to Keith's house with it he was really excited uh, but he said to me he said Tom um, you're my friend which was humbling in itself because I was like, you know, I hardly can, like I was kept, always had to struggle to remember his last name and, you know, it was like, <laughs> and I hadn't invested enough there to, to, for me to feel that I was that close. But he said, I want you to know um, cancer's back and I'm not going to have treatment. And, and so Keith you know, when it came time for the for the 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 party that we were going to have the drop in, he wasn't well that day, so he didn't come. Um, and uh, but but um, I don't know, a couple months later, it was probably February, and it was really cold, really cold. Because you know, for for Brantford, like we live in the sunny south of Ontario, um, so for Brantford it was really cold. It was probably minus twenty two or something like that. It was cold. It was in the minus twenties. And, and um, I look out my front window, and there's Keith going to get his recycle bin. Well, he's a tall guy. He's probably four or five inches taller than me, and he's by this time skinny as a rail. But he's bundled up in this great parka and a hat and mitts and boots, and he's going out to get his recycle bin, but he's walking like this. And I'm thinking, he's going to go down. Um, so I run out there. I got a sweater on his slippers. <laughs> I'm follically challenged. I don't know if you noticed. But so I run out there and, and Keith wants to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So there I am standing at the end of the driveway with his recycle bin in my hand. And, and he wants to talk. And then he said something that made me pray like crazy. He said, Tom, I nearly met my maker this week. And I'm praying, Lord, help me say the right thing. And God gave me a question to ask him. And it was, Keith, if you met him, would you know him? And at the end of the driveway, I led Keith to Jesus. And I was literally shaking. I was so cold. It was brutal. <laughs> but Keith is now with Jesus. And I don't know if I hadn't gone outside. I don't know what doing something looks like for you. It's different for each of us. Um, but it's a fly. <laughs> Spring's coming. Um, if doing nothing is unthinkable, I guess the question is, what does doing something look like? Now, you might be just struggling with, well, I don't even know where to start. Um, the next slide just gives you a little bit of, a, of an idea. There's these uh, couple of brothers, um, uh, Dave and, and John Ferguson, who have written a book called Bless. And this is just a, an easy outline of something that you could do. If you can remember the word bless, maybe it'll, it'll stick in your head. Begin with prayer. This is how to reach your neighbors. Begin with prayer. Listen to their stories. If we don't listen to them, if we just go to them with the four spiritual laws or, you know, with the, with the do you know if you were to die tonight, and, and you, you, you hammer at them before they even know who you are or what you're talking, they're, they're going to shut you off and block you out. Hear and listen to them so they know that you care. Eat with them. Become their friends. Serve them. And then share your story. Share the gospel. Share what Jesus has done for you and the hope, the reason for the hope that you have. Simple, and everybody can start somewhere on that. No matter what your sphere of influence is, it might be at a hockey arena, it might be at, at in your neighborhood, it might be at the place where you work, it might be you know, at, at Tim Hortons. I, I don't know where it is, where your sphere and your connection points are. It might be with your family. Um, God has given us all something. Um, and I don't know what that is, but my question I leave with you today is if doing some, nothing, or doing nothing is unthinkable, what does doing something look like? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you that you have entrusted it to us, this great gift of hope that we have that is beyond our comprehension. I thank you, Lord, that, that you've saved us from the power and the penalty of our sin through what Jesus did in giving his life as a sacrifice for us. Lord, help us not to be selfish. Help us to share this great hope with our friends and our neighbors, our extended family, and the people who are have been in Canada for a long time and the people who are newly coming to Canada. Lord, help us to share the hope that we have and the reason for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.